Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 146, Neutral Buoyancy. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We've talked about spacewalking a lot on this podcast. This is where astronauts get in their pressurized spacesuits so they can go outside of a spacecraft. Nowadays on the International Space Station, they're usually doing a maintenance task, like swapping out a battery, routing a cable, or upgrading external Wi-Fi. Most recently, astronauts repaired a complicated particle physics experiment called the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer. Throughout human spaceflight history, spacewalks have been integral in their success. From the construction of the International Space Station through the servicing missions of the Hubble Space Telescope, these achievements would not be possible without well-trained astronauts going out a hatch and performing these complicated tasks. Astronauts are able to do this in space thanks to the training on Earth. But there's nothing quite like floating in microgravity on Earth, so exactly how do you train them? Turns out, one of the best places to do it? Underwater and underwater in a specially neutrally buoyant way. Not necessarily sinking or floating, just right in that Goldilocks zone. There's a facility very close to the Johnson Space Center here in Houston called the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory, the NBL, sometimes also called the Sonny Carter Training Facility. We'll get into why. But it's a giant pool with one-to-one scale mock-ups of the space station in the water, and it's used constantly for astronaut training. But it's not just astronauts in the pool. There are divers holding cameras and aiding the astronauts and working with the control teams in the facility that are sort of like the mission control we all know and love, but for training in the pool. So today, we're sitting down with two NBL divers to tell us how this training works and what life is like working closely with astronauts underwater as a living. Is it a cool job? Spoiler alert, yes, yes it is. Here's life as an MBL diver with two MBL divers, Jim Theuderer and Christy Mellis. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit by circuit red. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Jim and Christy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having Pleasure us. Pleasure being here. Yeah. I wanted to know about what it takes to be a neutral buoyancy laboratory diver and go into not only that, but just what is this neutral buoyancy laboratory. We've had a lot of podcasts so far, talked about this place, but like at a super high level, so I really wanted to understand exactly what's going on in this facility. But I want to start about with your backgrounds. Jim, we'll start with you. Um, just how did you get to becoming an MBL diver? Well, my story coming into the NBL is a little different than most of the people that you'll um, talk to, but I was never actually hired to be a diver at the NBL. Oh. Um, I was initially brought in to do water survival training. Um, I worked offshore for 25 years as a commercial diver, and the company that I worked for went bankrupt. So then I went back offshore and started working again, and it just by chance happened that they had an opening, and I, that's how I actually came into the MBL. Hmm. But you had diving experience. I've been diving since I've been a little boy. Yeah, it's the only oh. thing I've ever done. What what fascinated you about it? Jacques Cousteau. Oh, explorers. Yeah, yeah I want to be yeah. Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, yeah I want to be too. a member of the Calypso. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> so. Cool. Any diving trips from from your career that really kind of stick out? Just wow, this is fascinating. This is an amazing moment. Well, this is I, I have a diving story. I have diving stories that would probably turn most of your listeners into weeping babies if I was to tell you <laughs> some of the stuff I've done. Because it really yeah. is. I mean, when you're diving, there is a lot of safety considerations that comes to that. It's, it's a scary place. They're, you're putting your life on the line almost when you're doing this. There's yeah. there's yeah. a lot of safety considerations when you're doing it. Yeah, and I've done some really, really extreme deep sea diving. Extreme yeah. deep yeah. sea diving. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Christy, what about you? So, I started out as a marine biology major in oh, college, wow. and I got my certification through that, through school. My first dive was actually while I was in college, before I was even certified. My then boyfriend, who's my now husband, took me to the Virgin Islands and I did my first dive there and I absolutely fell in love with it and thought this is what I need to be doing with my life. (laughs) Uh, So it's a good thing I was in marine biology. I graduated from there in 2001 
and unfortunately didn't get to work in that field because I got married and decided to have babies. Mm. <laughs> I have two children and I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. And then about nine years ago, decided to go back to work part-time as soon as the kids got into school full-time and I mm. had extra time on my hands. Uh, so I worked part-time at the downtown aquarium as a diver. Oh. And loved it, loved working with the animals. I did that a couple of days a week. And a couple of people that I worked with there actually went to work for the MBL and they recruited me pretty much. How so, about that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. What was it about just marine life and diving that really, was it the same thing? Just it's this whole new world? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a whole new world. You go down there and you forget about your life on land for yeah. a little while. You know, it's very meditative, it's very relaxing. Uh, it's just the exploration of it all, like Jim said, and it's just fascinating to it's me. Therapeutic. It's very therapeutic. What what about it? Is is there is it because I've never I've never gone diving before. So is it is it just like you're listening to the ocean? Is it just it's just you? Um, you hear your breathing, and you have to really. Hmm. There are so many things that you have to think about at one time. You know, you're concerned with your air pressure. You're concerned with your buddy that you're with, making sure everyone's safe. You're concentrating on breathing. You're not supposed to hold your breath while you dive, so you're focusing on breathing in and out. And it's just, you don't have time to think about the other worries that you have in your life. You're just focused on that one task that you're doing, and that's what makes it meditative, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's that focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that separation from the normal stresses of life. Right. This, you're just in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me, you said you, you, you left the uh, aquarium and you went to the neutral buoyancy laboratory let's go into that Correct. so what is this facility that we're going to be talking about today so it is a weightless training environment for our astronauts um, it's named after Sonny Carter who was an astronaut uh, he started out in college he was a chemist and then he went on to get his doctorate he was an internist for a while a physician hmm. and then he uh, while he was in college actually he played soccer he went on to play professional soccer for a few seasons um, for the Atlanta Chiefs and after that he went to the US Navy he was a test pilot for the Navy he eventually got brought on as an astronaut and unfortunately he died in a commercial airline crash oh. uh, so it was around that time that they had NASA had purchased this facility to put the MBL in um, that he passed away so they ended up naming the facility after him yeah, did he do some MBL? Did he do some dive training while he was an astronaut? I don't, I don't think so. I've, oh, never, really? I've never read anything. I on haven't any heard awards. anything about that and either. Again, it might be. I don't know. I've never heard of them. Yeah, I guess yeah. we. Yeah, we can check in on that for yeah. sure. But uh, see, yeah. So it's uh, it's named after him, and it's mm -hmm. the, what's in the facility because we're talking about diving, right? So mm -hmm. obviously, there's some water there. Yeah, we have a giant pool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's 40 feet deep. It's 202 feet long by 102 feet wide, and it contains 6.2 million gallons of water. So it's a lot of water. <laughs> it's a big pool. If you think about your average backyard pool, it's around 20 to 30,000 gallons of water, maybe. Uh, this is 6.2 million gallons. So cool. it's yeah, a number big. of pools. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 20 feet below ground and 20 feet above ground, um, and it houses a mock-up of the International Space Station. So that's what's in the pool. Correct. It's, it's the, it's the mock-up of the space station. Now, why do you need this pool? What is so good about putting space station mock-ups underwater? It's the closest environment that we have here to be able to simulate what the astronauts are going to be feeling when they get in space. Hmm. Okay, so it's, uh, it's like if you want to practice on how to do a spacewalk, mm -hmm. if you want to suit up, um, you want to do it in an environment that is the closest to microgravity as possible. Um, because and then use the mock-ups as a way to sort of say this is what you can expect when you go into space you can expect this layout you can expect uh, this feeling you have to use these movements I guess that's the idea yeah and for a lot of the, the test subjects coming in it's um, especially seen with the new class of astronauts that just graduated for a lot of them it's it's a whole whole new experience diving in itself is a whole new experience um, just being able to come in and just take the concept of being weightless inside a suit and manipulating yourself and doing tasks for the average person that's something that's never been done before hmm. I mean it's, it's it really is a very unique experience 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So what? Um, I guess we, we have this giant pool. I'm guessing that takes up most of the neutral buoyancy laboratory, the, the facility itself. Yeah. What else is there around there? We have the uh, fabrication lab or the LMF right next door where everything that's in the bottom of the pool is actually fabricated right there on site. Oh, right next door. How about right that? Right next door, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, And I've worked over there before. That was pretty cool. And then uh, we have the high bays. Um, what else we got going on? There's the suit lab that's there. The tool lab is there. Um, is that all for the neutral buoyancy? The suits are for the neutral buoyancy laboratory, or are they just like this, they're actually like flight certified spacesuits? They're for the neutral buoyancy laboratory. Okay. They yeah. were flight suits that have been worn in space, but have since been downgraded to a class three suit. Okay. So they're now used in the pool. Got it. Yeah. yeah. It, you have to have a certain level of quality, a certain level mm -hmm. of classification to fly in space, Correct. but. There is a certain safety for going underwater. Just it, you know, you can use those suits. Yeah, that's okay. correct. And then of course you have uh, there's a uh, almost like a mission control that's close by too, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's overlooking the pool. It's on the second or the top level of the building, uh, but there's windows where you can see from that control room everything that's happening in the pool and then obviously they have all the monitors in there and we have uh, three different people that sit in there while a test is going on and a test is just a suited run that's what we call it hmm. um, so you have your camera video operator sits up there and your test director who is in charge of the day's operations uh, the test director gives instructions to uh, everyone involved in getting the astronaut suited up for the day and then he also gives instructions to the safety divers while the astronauts are getting in the water up until the point when the way out is done. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then after the way out is done, then the test controller who's sitting in a different room right next door takes over and gives the subjects their instructions for the day. Hmm. Um, and then the third person that you have sitting up in the control room is the ECS operator or the environmental control systems operator. Hmm. And that person is in charge of operating and monitoring uh, the life support system that goes to the suits through the day. Okay, so there's there's a lot of elements to, I guess, we talked about what's in the pool, and then obviously we're going to get to the fact that you're divers in the pool, but in terms of what's done in the pool, I guess you're, you're simulating a spacewalk or some activity mm -hmm. on the outside of the space station of some kind, and the job of those, I guess, flight controllers in this instance is to... Um, like look over the tests, make sure everyone's following the procedures, but then also to remind everyone of the safeties and protocols of what goes on to make sure the test itself is going to be done right. Sure, and for certain runs they come in and they're working on choreographing for actually when they get to space. They'll start doing their checklists, writing procedures, choreographing, working through any kind of problems, kind of getting their tests run before they actually, you know, find themselves in space working through these problems. Okay. Yeah. For example, the AMS runs that mm -hmm. they just did. Oh, yeah. I know you guys have talked a little bit about that on this podcast. And from the day I was hired, I've seen AMS runs in the pool. Wow. And so for a good two years, they were perfecting those runs in the pool over and over. And they'd get in, and a lot of it is just R&D. You know, they're trying to develop the runs and see how long it'll take and smush it down into the time frames that they have allowable. Um so it was really interesting to see the processes and the development of those AMS runs in the pool. And they just recently were successful in doing those runs in space. And what's funny is, you know, like when we were following along with those procedures, what they were doing, it seemed like, all right, here we go. We're just going to do this. And that's exactly what they did. And then they left. Yeah. And, you know, six hours later or whatever, you're thinking, huh, that looked easy. But you know it wasn't because yeah. you heard about how how long it took to really perfect those runs. They had to go in the pool and they had to think about every angle and how to use different things and the techniques to use. There's a lot of work that went into that. Yeah. And you were part of that then. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, let's let's go into the role of an MBL diver. So take me through, let's, let's just use the AMS run as an example. Take me through, you're about to do a procedure um, for what will eventually be the uh, repair mission for the alpha magnetic spectrometer. What does your day look like as an MBL diver? It depends on what you're doing that yeah. day. So the divers have several different roles. Um, there's so many people involved in a one-day operation that it just depends on the day. But for example, let's pretend it's an AMS run. And Jim and I are safety divers on that run. So we would come into work that day. We would check the schedule. Uh, we would get our gear together. So we wear two tanks on our backs at a time. We breathe a blend of nitrox. 
which is a higher percentage of oxygen than regular air. So you could scuba dive on regular air, which is 21% oxygen, but at some point you have to do a decompression stop. So the nitrox that we breathe is a blend of 46% oxygen. So that allows us to stay down longer and not have any decompression limits. Uh, So we wear those two tanks filled with the nitrox blend on our back. And uh, after we are done setting up, we get our physical for the day. We have to have a physical every day, sign a sheet that says we're in good health. Um, After we do that, we go up and we sign the dive soups checklist. So the dive supervisor is there, making sure all the divers are checked in, making sure they all have enough pressure in their tanks. Uh, Just the dive suit monitors all the daily activities on the pool deck and in the pool as well as the people upstairs so you and with that next coach on a day like today christy could be a dive supervisor that day so everybody has multiple positions there that you're not sure what you're going to be doing on that particular day so that's part of the checking the schedule like first thing in the morning okay what am i going to be doing what mindset do i have to be in yeah Mm -hmm. and it sounds like a lot of it is making sure that you're ready right you have to do the physical you have to make sure like you're prepared and Mm -hmm. then that your equipment is ready that your tanks are filled that you have all your gear Mm -hmm. uh, ready to go so that's that seems like the majority of the beginning of the day correct now you said you that you use the nitrox mix to stay under longer Mm -hmm. so what are we talking about here? Are you out there, down there the whole time? during Because the runs can be like six hours long. They stay in there for six hours at a time. We wow. have three teams of divers that get in throughout the day. Okay, there it is. So if Jim and I go in and we're the first team of divers, we get in for two hours. Hmm. And then we have a second team of divers who comes and relieves us in the middle of the day. So we would dive, say we would get out around 11 o'clock mm-hmm. and they would get in at 11. They would die for their two hours, and then we would go take showers, eat lunch, get rehydrated, uh, re-energized, and then we would get back in the pool for the third shift. Okay. Which jumps around 13, 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you're, wow, that's a busy day. That's a A busy day. Yeah, a lot of checking, and then just knowing you're going to go right right back into it. That's correct. So what happens when you're underwater? You, as depending on, on what position you're filling on that particular role for the dive mm-hmm. if you're safety divers your primary goal to your test subjects is to be invisible space hmm. you're you're to be there but not to let them know that you're there you're there for their safety and just to assist them with anything for 1g just to help them and just kind of again you're you're the best way i could ever explain it to anybody is you're just there to be space for them safety and space hmm. they go to handle a tool it doesn't float in the pool you kind of you magically you lift it up for them and you just try to do the very best that you can to make them feel like they are actually floating in space okay so yeah watching over them what and and just making sure they don't have any signs that something's wrong is that part of the safety part sure of it? because the astronauts themselves when they get in the suit they're already diving before they get in the pool so wow. we're looking to getting ahead of the game there they're already subjected to pressure before they get in the water and then they're subjected to pressure again so again it's for us to be not only being space for them and being aware of what's going on and what's listening, you know, what's happening in the suit to the test subjects themselves. And the other part you said was you're almost trying to give them the extra simulation of what sure. space would actually be like. Sure. How we, do you how do you train for that? Practice. <laughs> it, it, it is, and it's uh, you, some yeah. some some test subjects need a little bit more than others. Yeah. You were talking about seals earlier, Chris Cassidy, mm-hmm. which I think is who everybody should aim to be at as far as an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. You get a way out on him, and he's pretty much like, just leave me alone, and yeah. I'll take care of it for the rest of the day. Some of the other ones, they need a little bit more help, and that's what you're there for, to be invisible to them and just assist them and help them the best they can. Okay. Yeah. A lot of it is getting to know the their, personalities yeah, their personalities yeah. and who likes different things. Like Jim was saying, if you go to help Cassidy with something and he doesn't want your help, he'll literally slap your hand away. So you're, you're building the basic skills of how to help if you need it, mm-hmm. but otherwise it's, it's knowing who you're dealing with and working with them. Yeah. Correct. So tell me about um, uh, Christy coming on for the first time and starting to dive and starting to learn some of this stuff, like safety diving and, uh, and pushing up the drill if he's dropping it, that, those sorts of skills. Yeah, it takes a minute to really yeah. figure out how to anticipate their needs. Uh, for instance, when they go to turn their body into a different position, you want to watch their hand placement and how they're placing their hands so that you know which direction they're about to rotate. When they rotate that direction, typically you'll want to pull their feet up 
in that direction that they're going so that it's not too hard for them. We don't want them getting any shoulder injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, they do wear weight packs on their feet. They do wear a weight pack on their lower back and their upper back and their chest. So we always, we don't want them to inadvertently go heads down. So we always want their feet to be a little heavier than normal. Uh, so we assist them a lot with holding their feet up if they get in different orientations. So just learning how to anticipate those movements that they're, they're about to do, it takes a little practice. Uh, and like Jim said, a lot of it is just holding up heavy things for them. Mm. A lot of times they'll be translating along structure with a heavy bag with a bunch of tools in it attached to their BRT. So we're there to just offset the weight of that bag so that it doesn't feel like it's pulling them down or dragging them down so that it's easy for them to translate. Uh, you have to learn how to kind of help them along if they're translating. Some of them say the water drag is just too unrealistic. It's not flight-like, you know, just kind of push me along a little bit if it looks like I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And so we'll kind of help them along structure. Uh, they so have an umbilical, which yep. they don't have in space. So that's another thing that we're handling is, is right. moving the umbilical along. And again, making it transparent to them while they're in the suit. Yeah, because in, in the space, they won't have to worry about that exactly. umbilical. So you have to, exactly. yeah, 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 you're moving that out of the way for them. Yeah. That's actually a part that I think we should address is, like, what's going on with the suits? Why why you do have to help them in a certain way? So so we talked about that there is a suit lab that's meant for these suits that are going underwater. They're sort of like um, extravehicular mobility units, but they have they are. umbilical. Oh, they yeah. are? Well, they, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vehicle. Yeah, they are We've both been in the suit, so we can... We can tell you what it's like. It's mm -hmm. it's a vehicle. You're, you're in there and you're driving a suit is what you're doing. You've been in the suit. What's yeah. that like? Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I recommend anybody try it if you get the chance. Yeah. He's just saying that because he was really good at it. We're, okay. So. Well, what is what? So so tell me about that. Getting in the suit and working with it. Uh, well, that from what part? All the way from the fit process or to actually flying the suit. I, I guess on the day of the MBL run, we can we can take a step back after that. But on the day you're okay, actually going to do the run, oh, it was it was, it was great. It was uh, I, I it, it, everything that you've seen up until that point, you finally get into the suit and you've seen you've seen test subjects struggle. You've seen some mm. sore like Chris Cassidy again. You've seen him do some things in the suit. Big fan of Chris Cassidy, by the way. So <laughs> I'm gonna say that. True. Much respect for that guy. But uh, you you get in and now you understand and you you how you manipulate the suit and when I say you're driving the suit you are driving the suit mm -hmm. and the next step that would, would I would love to find out is what it's like to actually float inside the suit when mm -hmm. you're in space never will happen but when you're there there's a lot of things that you can do as far as throwing yourself around in the suit not not I don't mean necessarily violent but sh shifts in the weight how you get up on your toes and how you can manipulate all that stuff, how you can fix your own way out. When you get up there, meaning up in space, there's like different techniques you can use? Well, yeah, when you're in space, for sure. In the yeah, pool. In the pool. Oh, yeah, for sure, in the okay. pool. You, there's, there's ways that you can get in that suit and you can manipulate that stuff and you can you can drive that suit. You really you're still can. fighting gravity when you're in yeah. the pool inside the suit. So the suit is almost like a balloon and your body is just an object inside that pressurized suit mm. and your body moves around inside the suit depending on which direction you're facing if you're on your side your body's going to fall to that side inside the suit because there's room in the suit if you don't fill it totally out which mostly people don't so when you do that you figure out okay i gotta i gotta bend the knee and lift the leg up on the opposite side to get the suit to kind of tilt this way there's there's a lot of things going on there and it helps a lot now with test subjects when you get in there because now you can kind of see because you've been in and now shot. you know the struggle. Yeah. You kind of know what they're going through. Yeah. Exactly. So I heard for the, th speaking about those alpha magnetic spectrometer spacewalks, I heard when they were building a mock-up to go on the bottom of the pool to work with it, they built it in different configurations, thinking like, okay, if they're in space, they're going to be at this angle. But that angle in the pool, they'd kind of be on their side mm -hmm. and they'd be falling up against the side of the suit, which is not a problem that we sh should have to deal with right. um, for actually working with mm -hmm. this. So they built it in different configurations so they could be a little bit more upright and a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was a really tight work site. It was really hard for all of us to get in that there. That was always very interesting diving right there too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not as a safety divers, once you'd get your test subject in the APFR and they were there and they were working on the tubing inside, the next big thing and it's it's one of the positions on the diving side where everybody kind of fluffs off the float position 
but floats the guy who has the camera that documents everything. And in those particular runs, it was always they needed the footage to see for training and to actually watch what was going on hands-on because the camera on the helmet only gives you so much, and then you can back up and get the next level with the float camera, trying to get yourself in there and not get in everybody's way and trying to get a good shot. And it was a very, very tight work spot mm. when you were working on the tubing. Yeah, yeah, if you've got two astronauts in the pool, that's eight divers at a minimum it's pretty that are much, helping them out. Yeah, and, and not much more room than what we're sitting at at this table right here. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about some of the safety divers and their role. It sounds like there's camera divers too. Mm-hmm. Float divers. Yeah. Float divers, that's what they're called? Yeah. Okay. Now, is that the is that the full complement there, safety divers and float divers? And that's that's your eight? Nope. We've mm-hmm. got okay. utility divers also. Utility so divers. Each astronaut has two safety divers, a utility diver, and a camera diver assigned to that subject. Okay. The utility divers kind of flip-flop back and forth mm-hmm. between subjects and help each other out a lot. Um, but the safety divers are assigned to a certain subject, and they stay on those. And the float divers are assigned to a certain subject, and okay. they stay on those the whole stay time. On those. So the float divers, they have a camera, and they have mm-hmm. their person. Yep. And they're, they're trained that camera on the person. Now, That's what right. does the utility diver do? The utility diver uh, does a lot of things. The utility diver gets in and sets up the work site for that day's run or the next day's run. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of reconfiguration of the pool. Uh, we move certain things around depending on what's going to be happening the next day or the day of. Uh, and they go get the tools that the astronaut needs, and they move around the hi-fi APFRs. They're grunts. They're the IPFR, that's the foot restraint? Right. So yeah. they're moving it. They're basically getting the work site ready for the day. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And while they're working, a lot of times they'll have to move APFRs from one location to the next location, and the subject can't move the hi-fi APFRs because they're so heavy. You have to use a little lift bag to move them sometimes. Oh, wow. So the utility divers will do that for them and basically just have the tools ready to go and swap out lo-fi for hi-fi tools. Um, What I mean by that is we have two versions of tools Hmm. that they use. We have a lo-fi and a hi-fi. The lo-fi is made of plastic, and it essentially floats or is neutral in the pool for the most part. And the hi-fi tools are very heavy, and they're made of either aluminum, titanium, or stainless steel. And the the reason for that is when the astronauts are translating, we don't want them to be translating with really heavy tools that are going to pull them down. Which is something that you're carrying with them, too. Right. Mm. Helps us out, too. So they will translate with their lo-fi tools, the plastic ones that don't weigh anything, and then or they'll have them on their mini workstation. And then when they go to use them, the utility diver will swap out the lo-fi for the hi-fi so they can actually use the hi-fi working tool. Lo-fi is really just to understand while you're translating moving, while you're moving across the outside of the space station, um, it's just to have a feel for what it feels like yeah. to have those tools Correct. around you. And you talked about your mini workstation. This is the workstation right in front of you. So mm-hmm. you got all these tools attached to you. That's how Correct. you carry it in space. Mm-hmm. Just So just to get a feel for that. But yeah. actually working with it, now that's a different thing. That's actually right. having like a drill to drill that actually is going to turn and do the things that you expect it to do. Exactly. Now, I know that one thing that comes to mind when it comes to the drill is, like, torque. Mm -hmm. So is there, you know, you talked about having a heavy tool and basically pushing it up um, being one of the elements. Is there an element of whenever they're drilling to simulate that torque and the spin that they may encounter in space? Is there anything like that? Not in the pool that I've seen. No. no, we do, the test subjects do carry a lo-fi PGT, and then when they get on location, they'll bring that out. And again, that's one of the things that do the safety divers, the utility divers, they'll, they'll bring it out, the one that they're carrying with them, and they'll swap over to a hi-fi PGT. Mm-hmm. And then you try that's to do, that, that's yeah, that drill. Yeah. Try to make the handoff just as if, you know, it came out of their hand, boom, it's in their hand again, and then go ahead and engage in whatever, whatever they're working on. That's yeah. one of the issues is that, the water drag in the pool is the opposite of what's going to happen in, in space. space. So, oh yeah, that's one of the issues. So in space, it'll be really easy for them to move along, and stopping would be the challenging thing, or staying stationary would be the challenging part in space. In the pool, it's exactly the opposite. It's real easy for them to stay stationary. Just to get moving, they got to press up against that drag. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So Jim, you talked about fitting for the suit. We talked about being in the suit for, for that. Now, what's that sounds like it has some elements to it for astronauts. But before they even go in the pool, before they're ready for that day, they have a lot of work ahead of time to make sure the suit's going to fit them. 
things. They do, and they do a pretty good job. They do a good job for us, and I can just assume that they probably do a, a stellar job for them. Yeah. Um, you talk to a lot of the guys working at the Anvil who have been there for a long time. They used to do the suit fits where they'd actually take the measurements with tape. Now you come over here on site, and they strip you down to your skivvies, and they tape a bunch of gray balls on you, and they laser scan your body. Mm-hmm. Oh, fancy. Yeah, Yeah, and it's kind of it's beneficial to not only the suit engineers, it's practice for them on, on sizing up the suit like that, but then they're starting to be able to collect um, data for future people getting into suits. I mean, we're going to have a good idea of what the average size is and what the different sizes of people are. And then when they come back and they analyze all that that um, that information, they start piecing together a suit for you, and they give you the opportunity to go in the suit lab on site, right at the NBL, excuse me, and they work with you, uh, starting with the gloves. You go in there and put on a pair of gloves, and you can start telling them exactly what you're looking for as far as fit. And those gloves are very, very the ability to adjust them to a very fine thing is it's pretty good it takes three hours yeah that gives you an just idea. for the gloves yeah. yeah yeah and you and you do if you if you go in there and you know what you're looking for and tell the engineer especially when mitch was there you could tell them and they'll they'll, they'll size those things up exactly what you're looking for mm-hmm. and then they put you in a pressurized chamber they pressure them up manipulate some tools in there and say yeah i'm good i'm, I'm happy with those gloves and then that's done so i'm check that off done three hours later (laughs) yeah so what are you looking for when you're looking for a good fit you want it you want it tight you want to make sure the fingers are the precise length what are the what are the key elements there Yeah, you're looking for length and you're you want to make sure that when you're using them that you don't have any hot spots on your hands anywhere that it's not rubbing Rubbing. on your knuckles Mm -hmm. uh, because you're that's your most important I think it's the most important part of your suit is your glove fit because Mm -hmm. you're using your hands the most throughout that day and it's really, really hard to even grip a tool in those pressurized gloves because you're fighting the pressure of that suit. So just to grip something takes a lot of strength and effort. And if you have something rubbing on your knuckle the whole six hours while you're down there, that's going to be a problem. Wow. So. Yeah, that's a very important thing. And you said you put them in a glove box and start working with it, and that's where you can identify some of mm-hmm. those hot spots where you can figure out what's rubbing because you don't want to have you don't want your fingers all like scratched up when yeah. you're, by the end of the six hours. That's and you a long don't want time. your nails being jammed into the ends of the fingers mm-hmm. either because that can cause a lot of damage too. Now, if you, if you were looking at a suit, I, I I was lucky enough to watch a suit up this morning, and it was it was, I thought it was it was kind of interesting because they laid down this. The uh, LTA. This, what is it called? The LTA, the lower torso assembly. Lower torso, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and then uh, I think it was Nick who was the diver. Mm-hmm. He laid down right on his back, and they were pushing the pants up, mm-hmm. and they had yeah. to like work the boots. So it's like even the whole thing was just like you. It required three people helping them just to put this thing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's tight. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Mm-hmm. It's really heavy. It too, is. So it's it's difficult to get in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's part of the reason why you need so many because it's a, it's a heavy piece of equipment. It's really heavy, and the, the inner lining sort of bunches up around the ankles and feet, so it takes a lot of wiggling to get in there. So what you saw this morning were the suit engineers helping Nick get into the suit, yeah. and they're there to assist him getting into the LTA, and they're also there to make sure that the LTA doesn't get damaged in that process because, again, it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty robust, but it still has its fragile parts so yeah i need to get you in there but we got to make sure again that we don't damage the suit right okay so that's step number one you gotta well first of all when you're coming out you come out in um, the liquid ventilation and cooling garment it's it's the it looks like a lcvga Mm -hmm. lcvga lcvg yeah and it it comes uh, almost like a jumpsuit like uh looks like long johns long johns like one piece pajama or whatever and it has tubes Mm -hmm. all across Mm -hmm. now why do you have to wear that to cool your body while you're working. Okay, because it could be hot in there? It's very hot in there when you start oh. working. It's just an enclosed, you have some airflow in there because your breathing gas is flowing through there. Mm. Uh, but it gets warm when you're working in there. So you want this garment to cool you while you're working. And the water that we flow through there. Oh, it's very warm. <laughs> well, yeah, well, so I, okay, so the water, the pool itself is extremely warm. So again, there you working in the suit, your umbilicals traveling across all that warm water as it comes out to you it gets it gets warm inside the suit really quick it does cool but down. that cooling water that goes through the umbilical and through your lcvg that you're wearing 
is coming out of the chiller at about 37 degrees. So by the time it gets to your body, it's probably in the 50s. Yeah. So it feels really good. Real good. And yeah. the uh, environmental <laughs> and control systems operator who's sitting up in the our little mini mission control room. And Christy does that too. <laughs> I do that. Oh, you're, a, you're an environmental person too. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the person up there can control your water flow. So if the subject says ECS, this is EV1, you know, I'm getting a little warm. Can we bump up my cooling by 20 GPH? Then we have that ability to bring his cooling up or down. Hmm. So. so they come out with the with the tube pajamas, but then it's actually the water that's coming into the suit to flow around. That's coming through what, the umbilical. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. So you got to hook it up to the suit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, yeah, and it comes out at 50 degrees. That's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I guess that, because that's necessary for six hours, you would definitely overheat if oh, you yeah. were doing that oh, yeah. in a hot suit for six hours. Yeah. What else is in that umbilical? You got water flowing through? You have your, so yes, you have your water, and then you have your communication line for your comms. To ask for cooler water. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then you have your video cable that runs through there for the little helmet cam that they wear. Mm. And you have your gas flow going through there. You also have some transducer wires that are going through there for... Monitors depth. Yep. Okay. All are that. they breathing the same thing that the divers are breathing? The nitrox. Nit- the nitrox are yep. breathing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So um, now we're yeah we're going underwater. Oh, I forgot to. I, we only got to the pants when we were talking about. I the dive suit. only in pants. <laughs> so I put a bucket on my head and I'm Look good at to that. go. Yeah, that's how you know you're a pro. <laughs> um, no, you put on the pants and, and you're doing that sort of next to this this uh, crane, mm-hmm. and on the crane is mounted the upper torso of the suit. The hut. The hut. Yes. Okay. So how do you that now? I've seen I've seen divers and, and astronauts try to wiggle into that hut. There's a technique there. It looks there, like there is a technique. And, yeah. Uh, it's it's different for everybody. You see the same faces go in and different faces when they come out on the mm-hmm. other side. But it's it's a tight fit when you get in there. Get a couple bruises yeah. usually doing yeah. it. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, because it's you come you saw this morning you come in from underneath and you. Yeah, whatever your dominant arm is it seems the side that you're going to feed up and you try to get up through your arms and pass it through the opening for the hand is and then you kind of flex your elbow and your shoulder and you allow your other part of your arm to squeeze in and at this part you're almost too blocked until you just kind of wiggle your way up and get your hands up and then you can make the commitment and stand up wow yeah it's uh it's interesting mm-hmm. yeah and you need you need those suit technicians nearby to help. This is where they're they're plugging in the LCVG. This mm-hmm. is where they're buckling you. They're connecting all of the bearings, and they they basically make sure you're ready and sealed tight. So when they actually right. drop you in, that mm-hmm. you're you're ready to go. Yep. Now what happens when you get to that point? You have your helmet on. They're checking out everything, and you're ready to go. So what happens when you're in the suit and they say, "Okay, time to put you in the pool." Hurry up, take the picture so I can get in the water and get to work. <laughs> yeah, that's my job as the yeah. PAO. I'm the one that bugs you right before you go in and say hey selfie <laughs> yeah. yeah it's they, they go through a series of you know comms make sure that the suit's working well they pressurize the suit to four psi inside the suit before they actually put you in the water and once they have an okay and everything looks like it's holding we don't have any leaks that's what the suit engineer is there to monitor that we go ahead and we pick them up and we make the commitment to put them in the water okay the safety divers are waiting right there in mm-hmm. the water when the crane goes in and once we make sure that comms are okay and the suit engineer gives the okay then we pull them off the donning stand and we do their initial way out so that just means that we make sure that they're going to be easily controlled by one person so we don't want them so heavy that they start plummeting to the pool floor and we don't want them so light that you can't drag them down so we do their initial way out we just get them pretty much neutral to where they're easily manipulated and it's that's that's captured with some of the senior guys who have come in over and over again. You have a pretty good idea. It was interesting when we had the new class. You'd put them in, and you were starting from scratch. Mm. And again, you're they're they're still learning how to manipulate their suit and the tools and the wayouts were changing, morphing mm-hmm. a lot. It was it was interesting taking part in that process right there. We keep a record of everyone's yeah. wayouts. So when they get in for the first time and they've never been in obviously we don't have a way out record for them on how much weight goes where and depending on their body size it's either going to be weights or foam up top on their upper torso Hmm. Uh, if they're a really muscular subject then they're going to need some foam in their upper torso to keep them balanced right Mm -hmm. Um, if they're 
a tinier girl, then they're going to need a lot of weight in their chest or their back Mm -hmm. uh, to keep them balanced out right. So we keep a record of all that. So the last time that they get in the suit, we update if there are any changes. We update that in the computer, and we use that for the next time that they get in. So that's what we mean when we say way out. So when they're about to do a run, they have, I guess, if you're looking at the suit, they got all these, like, pockets, I guess, all these little pouches around Mm -hmm. the suit where you can put weights and floats as necessary, whatever they have, uh, whatever you've identified as part of this way out. Mm -hmm. Right. They have a pack in their chest, a pack in their upper back, one in their lower back, and one on each foot. On each foot. Okay. Yeah, because the idea is, and this is where this term comes from, neutral buoyancy. It's to make it as Mm -hmm. space-like as possible. You Mm -hmm. don't want them sinking. You don't want them turning in the middle of a in the middle of a run right that's the idea yeah and because that suit is pressurized it it floats (laughs) okay yeah that makes sense you have to have a little bit of weight somewhere just to bring them down in the water Mm -hmm. now this morning um i they there was and you'll have to forgive me because i recognize nick but there was a new diver on the other side Mm -hmm. and so when they they took this crane and they they put put the two suited divers um up and then they dropped them slowly into the pool uh, the other diver came back up, and I guess they did this pop test or something. What yep. was that all about? That's a glove pop. Glove pop. Yep. We oh. do that with every subject when they first go into the pool for the first time hmm. so that they know what that feels like and what to do should they experience a rapid depress of the suit. Because uh, it can happen. You can have a rapid depressurization because you get a bearing blowout or something happens. Uh, so they get to experience the effects of that, and when that happens – all the air escapes and it collapses around you. Ooh. Feels like a big hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know what that feels like. And you're supposed to keep your airway open because it's going to be a change in pressure. So it's a way to identify if this were to occur, this is what it feels like. And then this is the technique you use to, you know, Correct. minimize risk to yourself. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and he did that, and I guess I guess he did fine. And yeah. some of the some of the safety divers were around to check that, and there was a physician that was around too to mm-hmm. make sure that he was okay. Yeah. Now, what else goes into the training here? To because I know you have some chambers. Uh, speaking about the neutral buoyancy laboratory, there's some chambers off to the side there. Like you mentioned, uh, Christy, the pool is uh, 20 feet above the ground, 20 feet below. But if you go to that. Um, not, the deck is at the very top. If you go 20 feet below, there's these two chambers, a hyperbaric and a hypobaric. Mm-hmm. Now, what are those about? The decompression chamber is for treating any diving illnesses that we may incur in the pool. One of the reasons why we breathe nitrox is to almost, I don't want to go as far as guarantee that it doesn't happen because diving is not an exact science. You never know when all the planets might align for you on that particular day that you might actually catch a sickness. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. Okay. But it's there to treat anybody, either the divers or test subject, just in case they start to show any symptoms of decompression sickness. And okay. the other one's the altitude chamber. And I've been dying to get in there, but I can't find anybody to pay for me to get a run. <laughs> just Same. to try it out, yeah. And what is that? What is the altitude chamber? It's uh, the exact opposite of pressing you underwater. Here I'm taking you to higher altitudes and a lack of oxygen. Mm. So seeing, I guess, the effects of lack of o2 on the brain right before you pass a lot of out. pilots yeah, pilots train in the hypobaric chamber okay so that they can feel that those effects and it sort of has almost a narcotic effect to where they can't do basic motor skills like sign mm. their name uh, so they want to recognize those symptoms should they experience them while they're flying is it called hypoxia Did i have that right Maybe? Yes. Is it, yeah, where, yes. you, where you have that deprivation. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea is to identi- identify your systems or si- symptoms. So if it does happen, you kind of know, oh, this is happening now. Yeah. I better mm-hmm. save myself mm-hmm. somehow. That's okay. Right. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a lot to this. Um, and and, and uh, speaking of going around the facility, Jim, you mentioned a couple other places. Uh, one of them was the tool lab. The LMF. Can, yeah. Yeah. And are you, are, as divers, are you working on some of the tools? Sometimes. Oh, okay. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, not not the tools that the astronauts use in the water, but uh, we work on a lot of the mock-ups that are in the water. Oh. We have maintenance period that happens twice a year. Every six months, we pull out some of the big mock-ups with the big DMAG cranes. Hmm. You probably saw them. There's two of them the on the ceiling. They're like the 20-ton cranes yes. or something? Yeah, yeah. 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 We use those to pull out the big mock-ups. Okay. And for 
a week or two weeks or however long maintenance period is that time, we'll just work on them. We'll make them pretty again, <laughs> replace all the rusted out parts or the labels or replace the foam that is missing in them or if they have any cracks or need any repairs. The MBL is an extremely unique facility, and I mean that sincerely. I, I'm happy every single day I come to work, so happy that I drive from Katy to come to work here at the MBL. So that's, that's a far commute. Yeah, so I'm anybody listening, you know, I'm, I'm sincere about what I'm saying. <laughs> and where I'm going with that is, again, we're talking about us, the divers who dive specifically with the test subjects, but just about everybody in that building has a diving role. You have hmm. your full-time divers, and then you have divers that have other tasks that fill in for second team and anybody else who knew. And over, again, like in the LMF, the fabricating part of it, we have guys over there that work on the mock-ups and do over there, and then they come over and they do the work in the pool, the maintenance stuff, hmm. specifically why the gear is still in the pool. So you love it because it sounds like it's, it's different all the time. It's all, you're changing all the time. It's different all the time. The people there are extremely cool, very professional, and we're very diversified with the different diving experience that we have there at the facility. It's a hmm. very, very unique, very cool place to work. So is, is just doing these runs often enough to keep up a certification and training, or is there training and swimming tests or, or any kind of like? Oh, man. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's we, part we of it? We have to keep up yeah. our quals. Uh, usually once a year are most of the qualification tests that you have to do. Hmm. Uh, we have to do a swim test once a year, a surface swim test. We have to do our dive skills once a year to keep up our certifications. We have numerous. That initial swim test is a badge of honor oh, to become yeah. a safety diver. Oh, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a, I'm guessing, yeah, it's pretty hard. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it, you, you earn your badge with that test. You do. Yeah, you do. What are we talking about here? Is it like 100 laps or something? Well, just the interview swim test. So there were several parts to the interview process that we had to go through. Mm. Uh, but the swimming part of the interview was, I think, eight laps yeah it was eight it's laps in 12 minutes or less and a lap is uh width wise there and back is one lap so you have eight eight of those laps to do in 12 minutes in 12, 12 minutes. minutes or less i think it's 101 feet wide am i am i right in saying that 102 so like 102 feet wide 102 feet wide so you're talking 204 feet is a lap about that's that yeah about so I, I know the total volume of the pool if i got this correct is the size of two football fields Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's it's pretty, it's big. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that's just the surface swim, and yeah, then right and then, from there you get a little break, and then you tread water? Yeah, we had to do uh, two minutes of a tread with our shoulders up out of the water. Yeah. And then two <laughs> minutes with our hands out, and then six minutes just regular tread. So that was our 10-minute tread segment, and then after that you get a little break, and you have to do your underwater breath hold 50 swim. 50-yard swim, yeah. Uh, and then... After that process is over, when you're being qualified to be a safety diver, to start your safety diver training, you have to pass an underwater swim test with all your scuba gear on. So you go down about 20 feet, and you swim two laps around the perimeter of the pool in under six and a half minutes. Six and a half minutes, yeah. And then that's just hard to begin you're, with. You're, 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 you're pumping the entire time. There's no... <laughs> There is no slacking on that swim. Wow. And then they give you a four-minute break, mm -hmm. and you've got to go down on the bottom of the pool and pick up the hard upper torso portion of the spacesuit. So part that you saw hanging on the donut yeah, stand this morning. That oh, okay. shell, you pick that up, and you put it over your head or however you yeah. want to hold it, and push off the bottom of the floor. And you're not allowed to have any of your any air in your BC while you're doing this. And you have to just hover over the bottom of the pool floor without letting your fins touch. You have to do that for a couple minutes. If you pass that part, then you get a four-minute break, and then they put a dummy inside that hard upper torso. And he weighs about 220 pounds. He weighs a lot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. a big boy. Uh, you throw him over your shoulder, and then you have to rescue him and swim him from the bottom of the pool up to the surface. With um, no air in your BC. With no air in your BC, and it is a challenge. I think I did that test 10 or 12 times before I passed. You have to pass all of them consecutively consecutively and if you fail one portion of it you have to start over from the beginning the next time so. wow that is rigorous Very but what rigorous. comes out are the best divers you can probably get for it's a way of weeding out 
Yeah. You know? And again, it's all about the safety of the test subjects. You need, I need oh, to know yeah. that I have somebody who's a strong swimmer that's going to be able to respond when I need them to respond. Wow. You know, and you bring people in, and it's again, they give you time. If you can't pass that test, then next, yeah. we'll get somebody else in to do it. And you said you have to. You have to have annual cert. You don't have to do that whole thing over. Oh again, no, that is a one and done okay. yeah, thing. Yeah. Unless yeah, you leave tough. and come back. If you leave and have to go somewhere for a year and then come back to work, you have to do it again. Make but sure you're still fit. Correct. Okay. I was 52 when I took that test. <laughs> I was 39. I don't think I could do the first part. I don't think I could do the 12 laps in eight minutes. I think I would it's fail a, like right off the bat. I had a hard time with that because I'm. I didn't come into this as a swimmer you know I've always been a diver yeah. I have never been a swimmer and uh, so I had to really practice swimming yeah me too in I order a, to get I learned the, the technique I was one of those I could swim but I learned the tech how important it is not to be looking at the wall look down but I want to look down <laughs> and look at my feet <laughs> right and swim yeah 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 so yeah. not Michael Phelps <laughs> right uh, just yeah. butterfly the whole time <laughs> um so, so that's an intense certification. Now, I know we talked a lot about um, when it comes to what you're doing. A lot of it is the spacewalk training uh, for working on the outside of the International Space Station. I know that's not all that happens in this facility. Um, there's a lot of other things. One that comes immediately to mind is, and this is one of the cooler ones that I've seen, is Orion egress training. Mm -hmm. So this is that Orion capsule that's going to be going to the moon. You put it in the pool. And I'm I guess part of that. Yeah. You're part of that. I'm leaving for San Diego in a week. To really? Do that. Yeah, I do that. So what's what's uh, what's going into this? Well, it's it's uh, I've been there at the facility. It'll be five years. It's been an ongoing thing, I believe, probably for about ten years, starting with the gentleman named Tim Goddard, mm -hmm. who was initially brought in with this uh, ex Navy diver, who's done a lot of engineering, a lot of uh, development on this, working with NASA and the engineers. And uh, now with the facility, there's, there's several different boilerplates of the Orion staged around. We have one in San Diego that we're going to go work with on, with the Navy. We have one in our facility that you saw. Yes. And uh, we put that in the pool and we test it. We test it with our personnel that's part of that group. And then we bring in the Navy divers or we bring in the PJs, which are the Air Force rescue guys, and we flip it upside down and reflip it back up and work with them and train them how to put the gear on. There's a stab collar, there's a porch, there's a whole lot that goes into that. It's all been developed right there in the MBL. We actually create ocean-like conditions yeah. in the pool with the wave balls that we've got. Oh, cool. We can make waves that are a couple feet. And wow. Yeah, Yeah, because the idea being if you land in rough in waters, here's mm -hmm. how you deal with that. Right. Okay. Not so much with the, believe for that, not so much for the test sub, or the people inside the capsule, but it's for more helpful for the guys who are actually going to be doing that work on the outside of the capsule. Okay. You'd be amazed when you swim up next to a space capsule and you have like a three or four foot chop totally changes your dynamics of how you're assembling a lot of the equipment that you have to put on there is that is that really th what you're doing when you're training for this is you're you're thinking about all these different scenarios and conditions absolutely yeah failure is not an option failure is not an option yeah. very cool so yeah. that's that's one type of other thing that can happen in the neutral buoyancy laboratory what am i missing what else happens oh uh, we also do some sea survival training so huh. we'll have people come in and take classes on how to escape should they have to eject from an airplane and they land in the ocean in their parachute oh wow how do they find their way out of their parachute how do they disconnect themselves from it uh, we have a winch drag that will actually drag them across the surface of the water and they'll have to release their parachute buckles Whoa. Uh, we'll lift that uh, student up with the crane that simulates a helicopter uh, and they'll get in the basket and just learn how to be rescued and how to survive should that happen and we'll get the waves going for that also <laughs> and we've got a new machine that actually is a big fan that blows high wind good, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and we can create a little bit of rain and wind for them while they're doing that also wow so it's pretty cool uh, we also test some rovs mm -hmm. um, in the pool what's that rov uh, a remotely operated vehicle it's a robot oh um Oceaneering has one in the building, and they actually just got done doing a test. I hope I'm not giving away anything here. They had a customer <laughs> come in, but they're able to have a customer come in and maybe do a test on on a job before it goes offshore into an environment. Before I spend a lot of money and I find out in you know 1,200 feet of water that it doesn't work, mm. I can test it in the pool. Yeah, and they test little video rays in yeah, the pool also. Yeah. So. 
I've seen some students over there too. They do like a robotics experiment mm -hmm. or something. Oh, the MicroGenex yeah. students, yeah, yeah. Different colleges will come and they'll have competitions. They'll make certain tools that different versions of certain tools that they'll test out in the pool and they'll actually have by the end of it they'll have the astronauts use their tool and see how well it works and they'll document that and whoever wins actually gets to have their tool manufactured to go up and be used in space they had one dude didn't they the, yeah. they came in it was they had they came up with the a zip tie cutter yeah the zip tie cutter uh -huh. for the ams for that's cutting, right so, yeah so yeah. that was uh that's killer yeah, yeah that's awesome <laughs> that's it, that was huge that yeah. was an integral part of fixing the alpha magnetic spectrometer yeah. with yeah. that cutter yeah it's and you're really getting the future ready i mean these kids are our future yeah you know? i mean it's intense yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i got to see that happen so that was really cool yeah. to be working as part of that team sounds like you both really like being nbl divers there's mm -hmm. a lot to it there's a lot of diversity there's just a lot of cool things that are happening it's there. amazing i always said that you know i wouldn't be happy unless i were doing a job every day that is bigger than us you know you're contributing to the greater good and exploration and it's just so rewarding to see it actually come into fruition yeah, to see our hard work especially you know when they do spacewalks sometimes we get to watch those spacewalks on the monitors on the pool deck as they're happening live I saw that. yeah <laughs> and that. so to yeah. see them doing the steps in space that you have helped them do so many times in the pool is just it's the best feeling I've heard sometimes uh, some of the astronauts, when they go out on a spacewalk for the first time, one of the things they say are, where are my divers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that so too. they're so used to you guys, right? <laughs> they're so used to working with you because you've been there training them on all of these skills that they're just about to do for the first time in space. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a big deal. You have a lot to contribute to, to human spaceflight. I appreciate po talking to both of you today. This was a fascinating discussion. Well, we got more to talk about. We're not kicking the side <laughs> yet because we've just been dealing with talking about space station. We're getting ready to make the next. We're getting ready for Artemis. Why was I about to wrap up? Tell me about that. Tell me about Artemis. Yeah. So let's. So we we have the ability now, and we've we've brought in. There's a group of us who have brought in surface supplied commercial diving gear and we're going to start training for walking on the moon at the bottom of the pool no way oh yeah we have a it's little there. lunar area yeah. down there with a, a sand lunar pit area. That's yeah. cool. sand pit and some rocks and we've got all kinds of stuff gearing up for that so it's a really exciting time to be in this job because you can do moonwalk training in the pool mm -hmm. And, and what are you training for? What are, what is it? What are they exactly doing for moonwalking? Just learning how to walk, or are again, they picking whole, up rocks? Yeah, because uh, and again, it's it's different. It's it's we don't have the suit yet. They're working on it, so we are in the process of developing what we think is going to be close enough to simulate a suit that they're going to be walking on the moon with. It's out there. We just don't have it yet. Hmm. So we've brought in some some uh, commercial diving helmets and we've developed a package with that and it's a little different it's different than swimming diving is not just mid-water stuff now you put people on the bottom of the pool and you start walking around and that just opens up a whole different skill set different skill set is finding leverage on how to do tools and how to manipulate yourself and how to walk around and get around it's it's yeah. the gravity on the yeah. moon is different yeah, yeah. so yeah. we go from weightless training to one-sixth gravity training. Ooh, yeah, so that's a different technique. Now you're, shift. you have to work from pushing up that tool. Now it's, uh, yeah, how do you, that's gonna be difficult, figuring that out, how to do it. But that's, it's a good place to train, right? To get those skills. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I know there's, uh, you know, um, thinking about other things that are happening there. I know suit testing is one of those things. We just uh, unveiled like the new Artemis spacesuit, the one that's gonna be used on the moon. And I know they tested it in the pool. The XEMU. Yeah. The Z2.5? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, just testing out the new suit's capabilities and, and how it works, like actually getting it to a point where you're close to this is how it would feel in space. Mm -hmm. I heard great things yeah. from, um, I think it was Kate Rubens who mm -hmm. said really good things about it. Yeah. I don't know if you were there for those ones. Yeah, I was oh, there. Oh, you were there? Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be cool to see yeah. the next generation of suits and see a series of moonwalk moonwalks you're doing moonwalks in yeah. the pool that's really we're cool. going to try to help also supplement with um with nemo so okay that's with our that's training uh, that's the underwater facility where they go and they simulate well they, they go into a shallow sat and they simulate working in a restricted environment like that yeah we're yeah gonna, it's like a habitat off the coast of florida yeah. at the bottom of the sea yeah it's a 60 foot habitat and it's an air sat yeah 
Yeah. All right. Am I missing anything? I feel like I've skipped it. You're like, no, don't wrap up yet. I've, you got to talk about you got to talk about moonwalking. How did I miss that one? That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, yeah, no, this was really a really fun conversation. Thank you for for coming and talking about. Thank the you so much for having, having us. Yeah. yeah, this was cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really good conversation we had with Jim Fuderer and Christy Mellis today about life as an MBL diver. I really hope you enjoyed. We have a lot more episodes of Houston. We have a podcast. You can check them out at nasa.gov slash podcast. You don't have to listen to them really in any order. Just pick your favorite one and start listening away. We also have a lot more shows at NASA. Go to that same link, nasa.gov slash podcast, to check some of those out. We have Curious Universe, Gravity Assist, Rocket Ranch, and, uh, of course, many, many others. You can follow us on social media. We usually uh, post on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to talk to us at Houston, we have a podcast. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform. Submit an idea for the show or a question or a comment, and uh, just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston, we have a podcast. This episode was recorded on February 18th, 2020. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, Kelly Humphreys, and Jennifer Hernandez. Thanks to Jim Fuderer and Christy Mellis for taking the time to come on the show. Make sure to give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and uh, tell us how we did. We'll be back next week.